Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. So this week's topic is something that was requested from quite a lot of you via Instagram. So for those of you who don't know, I tend to open an ask box on Instagram either at Amalia Lee or at letsrecover.co.uk where I ask about you know, any listener questions, also topic requests. If there's anything in particular that you guys want me to make an episode about that perhaps I haven't touched upon earlier. And one thing that came up many, many times was recovery at a quote-unquote normal weight. And the reason why I have not made an episode about this before is because all of my episodes apply to this regardless, right? I didn't feel like I needed to make a separate episode about recovery at a normal weight because all my episodes are about recovery at a normal weight already because the majority of people with eating disorders are not underweight. The majority are at a quote-unquote normal BMI or above a quote-unquote normal BMI. So yeah, that's why I haven't made an episode about it previously, because again, like I said, everything already applies. All these episodes are for people, regardless of their weight. If you have an eating disorder, if you're underweight at a quote-unquote normal or above a normal weight, it still applies. It still applies. So first of all, I kind of don't quite like this whole thing with like normal, normal weight, overweight, obese, these kind of classifications, because I think they can be hugely stigmatizing, especially overweight and obese. These are, this is language used to essentially deceasify a body type that for many people is just what their bodies naturally are. It's not how their bodies look like. It's the size that their bodies are the most comfortable with. If you have a natural BMI of, let's say, 27, what do you mean overweight? Over what? Over some random mathematical number that was made up by some random dude a long, long time ago? You're not overweight. You are literally at your body's natural set point weight. Yes, for some people, that BMI would be higher than their set point. And for other people, that BMI might even be lower than their set point because human bodies come in all different shapes and sizes. And that is amazing. And same thing goes with like normal weight. Someone can be at a quote unquote normal BMI, but that BMI may not be normal for them. It might not be healthy for them. The amount of people I see in recovery that, especially if there's someone who's going through a weight gain process and then they have a goal, maybe set with treatment professionals to reach some random BMI, let's say BMI 20, right? And they think that, well, BMI 20, that is normal weight for me, but it could be that their set point weight may be above it. And I do understand why a treatment team would set like a minimum goal weight because essentially we need to get you out of the danger zone. And when I say BMI is bullshit, that does not mean it is okay to be severely underweight because sometimes people kind of misconstruct this and they think, well, BMI is bullshit. So I'll just stay at the suppressed weight. That is not what BMI is bullshit means. I've spoken about this before. BMI is bullshit means that it is literally just a random mathematical thing and it deceasifies people in larger bodies and it doesn't take other things into account and it's not an accurate measure of health. But this does not mean that being severely underweight and being severely under your set point range is something that is, you know, not without health consequences. But yeah, anyways, I understand that, you know, in eating disorder treatment, 
because being, you know, staying underweight is something that is dangerous under sand treatment teams, they have to kind of make a goal that, yeah, we need to, you know, prioritize weight gain and they set kind of a, a goal BMI. But please know that this BMI is a minimum. It is not a maximum. And if you have a treatment team that has treated this as a maximum, then that is honestly such a shame. I want to tell you a bit of why they do that. First of all, ignorance. But second of all, part of the reason why they, for instance, say BMI of 20, and then when you reach a BMI of 20, you, you know, quote unquote, maintain there, is because they are scared that if you go above it, you will not handle that and you will relapse. I'm not making this up. I spoke to my sister about this and my sister is a psychologist and she used to work at an inpatient clinic for eating disorders. And she'd say it's the same thing. The reason why they're doing it is because they are scared that if you go above it, you will relapse. So they're thinking, well, we'll maintain you at a quote unquote healthy BMI, but we're scared that if you go above, you will, you know, you will not handle that weight gain. So essentially they think they're making things easier for you. But of course, the unfortunate thing that's happening here is that people who may reach that BMI but that is not their set point they will be terrified of going above it and their treatment team might also be terrified of them going above it because they're scared that that will create a relapse but actually staying at a suppressed weight and the truth is a BMI of 20 that is a pretty low weight for most people it is below what most people's set point weight range are not saying there are not people who naturally fall in that range of course there is but for a lot of people they will need to go above that to be completely free to be completely mentally and physically and metabolically healthy and essentially because their treatment team is saying bmi 20 and then we maintain again i'm just using bmi 20 as an example because that is a pretty common minimum that a lot of treatment centers use so because they say that the person thinks that this means bmi 20 maximum i'm not allowed to go above that and being above that is somehow bad Personally, I strongly disagree with treatment centers who set BMI 20 and then think, oh, let's maintain here. I understand setting it as an absolute minimum, you know, just for safety reasons. But I fear that setting that can also mean that some people misinterpret it as a maximum. So I think it's so important that treatment centers, treatment professionals explain that this is an absolute minimum. It is not a maximum and your body needs to find its own set point weight range. And yes, there could be someone who is naturally super thin and maybe have a BMI, natural BMI of let's say 19. And But even for those people, actually pushing it to a 20 and then letting their body find its natural set point weight range is absolutely crucial. Because the truth is, if your BMI naturally is lower than what your treatment team or what you are pushing it towards, then you will eventually go back there when you are fully recovered with no restrictive behaviors. And equally, if your BMI is naturally above that, then your body will fight to get you there. It would not really let go of all the mental and physical symptoms of starvation until you are in a range that's healthy for your body. So essentially, you cannot choose your set point weight. You cannot choose that. That is something your body is choosing. But you can choose to spend your life fighting it. And let me tell you this, that is not a good way to spend your life. So yeah, anyways, that was a little bit about, you know, BMI goals, weight goals, etc., etc., and just offering some nuance uh, in that conversation. So, recovery at a quote-unquote normal weight. And notice I say quote-unquote, it is because, again, I am critical to BMI in the way that it's being used. But essentially, recovery when you're not someone who's underweight, when you're not someone who maybe, you know, look the stereotypical way you expect anorexia to look like or an eating disorder to look like because there is a stereotype that people with eating disorders are very skinny but that is usually not the case 
Most people with eating disorders are not underweight. They're not visibly sick. You can't usually see it. And isn't it interesting how despite the fact that it is more common to be, you know, at a normal or quote unquote above a normal BMI when you have an eating disorder, still your eating disorder will try and invalidate you if you're not underweight. And even sometimes society and other people will try and invalidate you. Sometimes even treatment professionals. And it's so silly because weight loss and also weight loss to the point of being underweight is something that is a side effect of an eating disorder in some but not all cases and also even those who do experience that side effect very often they will not be underweight the whole time they may be underweight for a period of time but then spend most of their eating disorder looking like objectively like they don't have a problem based on stereotypes of what an eating disorder look like an eating disorder is not a look Please, please, please remember this. So one thing that I am very, very commonly asked, like again and again and again, is, oh, but, you know, eating more calories, resting, going, following extreme hunger, does this apply to me when I'm not underweight? And the answer is yes, of course it does. First of all, you can technically be underweight relative to your body set points. You know, if your natural BMI is, let's say, 23, and you're holding on to a BMI of 20, then yeah, you even though per BMI you might not be underweight, you're still underweight relative to your body set point weight range. But then again, you might be within your set point weight range, but it could be that you're energy suppressed. This is a very common one where, because the body essentially will tend to try desperately and prioritize weight gain. So you have people who may reach a weight that their body is comfortable with but they're still engaging in a lot of restrictive behaviors this could be actual restriction but it could also be you know just those sneaky behaviors that may not create an energy deficit but that more like mental restriction right like for instance orthorexia so maybe you're not restricting your calories but you're banning yourself from entire food groups and in those cases, of course, it's so completely normal and expected for you to be desperately craving the foods that you're banning yourself from. And yes, you are still allowed to eat them even though you're not underweight. Another thing that I'm very commonly asked is regarding exercise. You know, people in recovery saying, well, it's fine for me to exercise in recovery because I'm not underweight, right? And again, goes kind of back to what I'm saying. Yeah, even though you are, you know, maybe at a quote-unquote normal weight, doesn't necessarily mean that exercise and recovery is the best idea for you. Because you can be at a quote-unquote normal weight and you can still be energy suppressed and therefore exercise, probably not a great idea. And also, even if you are not energy suppressed, if you are exercising for disordered reasons, this is still feeding into the eating disorder. It is true that there are certain potential medical complications by being underweight. That, that is a fact, right? And that is also why focusing on weight gain is so, so important in those who are underweight. But this does not mean that not being underweight means that there will be no physical complication or no mental complication or that the eating disorder doesn't exist. Take any disorder or disease or whatsoever, you would see there are different symptoms, different complications, and not having one symptom doesn't mean that you don't have the disease, right? I may have used this example before, but think, take depression as an example, you know? Sleep trouble is a common side effect of depression, but that doesn't mean that everyone with depression have that symptom, or if you don't have trouble with your sleep, you are not depressed. 
If you do have problems with sleep, then that is something to take into consideration in your treatment and, you know, something to follow up on and follow the potential complications of, let's say, sleep deprivation. But that doesn't mean that if you don't have it, it's just fine to continue being depressed, right? Or just not focusing on healing your depression. So again, think of weight loss as a symptom for some, but not all people. Some people experience weight gain. Some people experience not much changes in their weight. Some people experience constant weight fluctuations. The eating disorder loves to find evidence for the fact that it doesn't exist. This is literally how an eating disorder stays overdue for so long. So I'll give you one example. So during my eating disorder, I never exercised. I never was bothered. I didn't really have strong exercise urges. Does this mean that I didn't have an eating disorder? I could have used this as a sign to make it seem like, oh, I don't have a problem because I don't exercise, because that's not a big part, because that exercise is a common symptom for many people, but I don't have it. So, you know, and that is a common symptom. Exercise is not an uncommon thing. Being underweight is actually something that is not that common with eating disorders. And I know that if you were, you know, with conversation with me many years ago, and if I were to say, well, I don't have an eating disorder because I don't exercise, you wouldn't have said, oh yeah, that's true. (laughs) You don't have that symptom, so you don't have an eating disorder. So then why would you not being underweight mean that you don't have an eating disorder? Just because you don't have that one symptom that is the case for some, but not all people, and actually a minority of people. If you can see that excessive exercise which is a common symptom you can have an eating disorder without that common symptom if you can see that then why can you not see that you can have an eating disorder without being underweight when being underweight is an uncommon symptom so i spoke about this in the episode of invalidation but denial of the illness is a symptom it is not an indicator that you don't have an illness it's actually quite the opposite a very interesting study, uh, it's called Adapted to Flee Famine by Dr. Sean Gussinger, I probably have mentioned that study quite a few times before, actually hypothesized that a denial of the severity of the illness is a survival mechanism. Essentially, just some sprinkles of cognitive dissonance to keep you going. Because if you realize like, holy shit, I have a problem, like I'm sick, like this is bad, then you could panic, right? And your eating disorder wants you to keep going. And also if you look at it, if you look at an eating disorder as, you know, a evolutionary, you know, survival mechanism, adapting to famine back in the days, back when we were living in, you know, tribes and everything, or back when most of us were living that way, because I know there are people who still do that now, but I'm talking, you know, stone age, right? Actually being in denial about being sick was a potential benefit because then you could keep going, keep pushing. You know, this also we see sometimes people who are very sick will have bursts of energy and bursts of, you know, they're like, oh my God, I feel fine, right? And this denial is such a key part of the illness. Because if you were to be like, oh my God, I'm sick and just panic and freeze and be like, oh geez, this is bad, then that could put you at risk just from an evolutionary point of view. So this is an interesting one because you see this in a lot of other conditions as well. You know, for instance, let's say alcoholism. Very common thing with alcoholism is that people are in denial about being alcoholics. They're just like, oh, I just like to drink sometimes. You know, I just like to party. It's just like, "Mm -mm -mm." very, very common. Same goes with drug addiction. If you've ever been around someone or maybe you've experienced yourself or maybe you are experiencing yourself some form of addiction, you could probably recognize these behaviors. So denial and just 
thinking you don't have a problem when you do. Very, very common human defense mechanism that some researchers would theorize has an evolutionary aspect to it that actually is a survival mechanism. I think that's so interesting, but also I am such a geek for evolutionary psychology. It's like my favorite thing ever. <laughs> but regardless of why, regardless of why we are doing it, we can all agree that it is common with eating disorders. So yeah, when people ask me, well, how do I recover if I'm not normal weight? The answer is you pretty much follow the same approach as someone who aren't, right? Yes, like I mentioned, if someone is severely underweight, there might be certain medical complications or need for a specific, you know, certain medical supervisions. And I understand that. But the thing with refeeding, correcting the energy deficiency, cutting out restrictive behaviors, resting, these things still apply. And so does, you know, challenging your eating disorder thoughts and fears and anxieties. And also if extreme hunger comes and you're someone at a quote-unquote normal weight, yes, it still applies to you. It's still extreme hunger. It still is the same thing. It is not like extreme hunger is just for underweight people. It is not like rest is just for underweight people. It's not like weight restoration is just for underweight people. Your body needs to be, have its energy deficit corrected. Your body needs rest. Your body needs to repair. And your body needs to find its own natural set point weight range. And even if you are there, but you're still engaging in restrictive behaviors, then you still have to let go of those behaviors, right? They're not just going to go away by themselves. I think I mentioned this before, but the eating disorder will try and tell you, you know, oh, you're at a normal weight, so you shouldn't, you know, eat more. But also, if you're someone who's underweight, and I'm saying this because I'm working with clients on different weights, right? And I see that even when someone is, you know, underweight, they will tend to get in their heads that, oh, I can't eat more now because I'm underweight and, you know, I'm going to gain, it's going to gain so quick and I can't do it now. I'm not ready. I'm going to wait until a little bit further in recovery. And then I hear people who are, you know, not underweight saying, oh, well, because I didn't increase when I was underweight or because, you know, I am not underweight or never was underweight, I shouldn't increase, right? So can you see that no matter where you are in recovery, you're eating a sort of find some reason as to why not to pursue an increased intake, finding a set point, resting, etc., etc. Don't think that someone who is underweight with an eating disorder will magically feel super validated by themselves or sometimes even by others, right? Don't think that being underweight with an eating disorder is just like magically just, yeah, of course, now I feel like I deserve the food. That is not how it works because your eating disorder will always find some reason why you're not sick enough, why it doesn't apply to you, no matter what weight you're on. And I do understand that sometimes in the medical system, there could be some very, very outdated advices where you may feel like your treatment team, if someone is underweight, then they'd be more emphasizing more, oh, you need to gain weight, you need to eat more. And then if you are normal weight, you might find that your treatment team kind of like, oh, you're fine now, right? But that is their lack of knowledge. That doesn't mean that they are right. They're essentially following, you know, numbers and systems and, oh, someone is at X BMI, someone is eating X calories, so then they are recovered. But that is just not how eating disorders work. You know that, I know that, but your eating disorder will try and tell you, well, you're fine now. But the truth is you kind of have two options, right? 
one option would be to just, okay, well, my doctor said I'm fine, so I'm just going to keep going, right? But then you're the one who's going to suffer the consequences, right? Your doctor is going to, I think I said this in the past episode, your doctor's going to go on with their life. They're going to go home to their family. They're going to be fine. You're the one who's going to suffer the consequences. You're the one who's going to spend your life trapped. So yes, you can blame your doctors. And yes, it is in my opinion, medical negligence to, you know, just give the green light for people with eating disorders to continue engaging in disorder behaviors because they're not underweight or to completely, you know, say, well, you're fine now before someone is, right? But at the end of the day, you're going to suffer the consequences if you decide to base your recovery on the fact that some doctor or some treatment professionals invalidated you. I understand that validation can feel nice, but your recovery should not depend on it. Detaching from validation can be very important because if you attach too much to validation, then your eating disorder is always going to find some reason why you are invalidated, even if you aren't, right? Yes, invalidation exists, but sometimes your eating disorder will come with the sneakiest ideas and sneakiest conspiracies as to, oh, they really meant that, right? Try and think of your eating disorder as just this like nuts conspiracy theorist that's just occupied your head with the wildest conspiracies and trying to tell you that I'm not really here, I'm controlling you, but I'm not here. That is an eating disorder in a nutshell. And yes, I do slightly see the irony of me saying detach from validation, but then also I just created a podcast episode essentially trying to validate you. But, you know that's just kind of how it is but i hope i also managed to explain a bit and burst some myths right because again you're never going to feel completely like you deserve recovery like you're completely ready like you know like you really have an eating disorder eating disorder imposter syndrome is so common and i see this of people of any size there's always some reason why they're not sick enough. Always some reason. I literally hear it even from people who've literally been on the deathbed in hospital. Like, oh, but I'm actually not sick, you know? It's just, and then there's a wild conspiracy theory. It's a symptom, not a fact, okay? Anyways, guys, I now am going to take a listener question. And this one is from Instagram. So I feel like this question kind of ties in a bit to this episode. So the person is asking... Everyone tells me that my mindset will improve when I am at a healthy weight. Is this true? The answer is yes and no. And hear me out as to why I'm saying that. Yes, because being underweight relative to your body set point weight range, that's important, comes with certain cognitive side effects. I remember for myself when I was underweight and I was just like, I was under my natural set point weight range. There was certain, like, I was like, my brain was just wired a bit differently right I was more rigid I was very you know withdrawn there were certain things that weren't quite there and those things did improve with weight gain the state of being undernourished and slash or underweight has cognitive side effects as mentioned and those are often corrected with you know refeeding and weight gain but and this is very very important and again ties into what I spoke about earlier someone can have a quote-unquote healthy weight and have an unhealthy mindset and also weight restoration could if you're someone who goes from being underweight to you know normal weight or being under your set point weight to your set point it can really improve some symptoms but that doesn't mean that it take away all symptoms right because imagine if you're someone who maybe recovered on a low intake recovered while engaging in disordered behaviors right so that doesn't necessarily mean that all your symptoms are going to be gone at a healthy weight imagine if maybe you were like fluctuating between a restrict 
purge cycle, excessively exercising, following orthorexic rules, etc., etc. And yes, maybe you physically weight restored, but you still didn't work that hard on the mental part and you still have a lot of rules. This is common. So as you can see, it is a question with, I guess, several truths, where several things can be true at once. Weight restoration to your body's natural set point rate range has a tendency to improve your cognitive state, but that also doesn't mean that if someone is at a healthy weight, all of their problems are magically going away, going to go away if they have been engaging in disordered behaviors at that weight. Hope that makes sense. Because unfortunately, what tends to happen when I talk about, you know, eating disorders at a quote-unquote normal weight is that some people who are underweight, they think, well, if you can have an eating disorder at normal weight, why would I bother recover? Because then I'll just gain weight, but I will still be just as disordered. And this is false. This is false because, as I mentioned, being under your set point weight range has certain cognitive side effects. And if you are combining weight gain with wider recovery, right? You are combining weight gain with challenging behaviors, eating more, not being restrictive, then yes, there is going to be a healthier mindset. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that Weight restoration doesn't necessarily always mean someone is recovered, but equally someone cannot be recovered without weight restoration. So please do not take this episode as a sign not to get weight restored because there are people who are weight restored and not recovered. You need both. You need the weight restoration, you need the rest, you need not engaging in restrictive behaviors, challenging rules, etc, etc. You need all of those things in the recipe for recovery. Once you start taking out key ingredients, you're going to have trouble. And weight restoration to your body's natural set point weight range is a key ingredient. But equally, it could be that you already have that ingredient, but you're still extremely restrictive, right? Imagine you maybe be weight restored, you may be at a weight that is natural for your body, but you're still extremely restrictive, or you're following some extremely rigid diet, you might be over-exercising, etc, etc. I hope this answered some questions, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy it, then please rate the episode on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you are listening to podcasts. And also story reshares. I really do appreciate that. I always see it when you tag me. Not always, but usually I try to keep uh, keep an eye on it. And it really, really means a lot. Have an amazing day ahead and I'll talk to you guys next week.